Good morning and welcome to your daily game face. I'm Dr. Kim Lannon, stress-free, Lou Blasey. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. That's good, right? A whole new effect. Yes. I know, right? Yeah. Not stress-free, but that's why I said it because I thought it would be a little tongue-in-cheek. You just flipped the page there. I did flip the page. Broadcast professional already. What? You're a broadcast professional already. Mm. Most of doing shows like on radio is uh, people bitching at each other or with each other in the breaks and before the show. And then when the mic goes on, it's like everything's different. Like everything's perfect. Yep. So if you had been with me literally 30 seconds ago, I wouldn't have had that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Not... Neither, neither of us would. I know. We we're both like. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm going to keep saying huh a lot because one, I don't have my earphones in because I know I stink and second, not in a smelly way, but you know, in the other way. And Jeez. the other thing is that although you were wonderful and you stepped in today for the first time to tell my neighbors to stop playing their salsa music so loud in my studio ear, they're now really loud talking louder than the music. So that's not the first time it's making my eye twitch. It's not the first time I've talked, talked to them though. I, I, for we've, me, it is. We've had, no, we've had ongoing conversations about this time. Oh, so. But not during the space and time oh. that I've actually been here for you to take care of me. <laughs> I've never seen you go over around the corner when I said something and just do it. Yeah. That was like mind blowing. Really? Listen, I'll take anything I can get right now for good things. <laughs> that big a deal? <laughs> um. So anyway, good morning. Every Wednesday morning, I will walk over there and talk to them before. Do you, before I get here? Yeah. Oh. No, when you get here. Oh, obviously, it's oh. a big thing for you. So. Well, because it's freaking loud. I know. I can't hear anything. They're Even if I have my headphones in, I can still hear them. They're doing a Hispanic morning show. I it's going to be loud. I understand what they're doing, yeah. and I appreciate what they're doing, but I can hear the whole thing. I know. I understand. I know no one else can hear it. I don't, I Everyone that listens to me says, I can't hear it. I understand that, but I can, and it's distracting. We share a wall with one of the other radio stations. I share a wall group with and, another show yeah, that's going yeah. on at the same time. I understand. Yeah. No, I'm just explaining to the booth. audience. Soundproof means soundproof. Obviously, we are cheap. This side of NASA, there's nothing that's soundproof. So that's, that's a falsehood we've been sold. We're moving to a different studio <laughs> on the beach. Listen, if you can pull it off. I'll be happy to do it for you. Ah, thank you. Yeah. So anyway, good morning. Good morning. And and yes, less than we are late this morning because I was doing. I'm going to do my life story now because it's it's a lesson in stress management. <laughs> <laughs> so people, well, so here's the thing. So you even know this. People often will look at me and say, "Do you ever not smile?" And I always go, "Of I course." No, you've said that to me. Long time ago. Long time ago. Yeah. Not recently. Before I get the usually I come in like dun 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 from Star Wars. Yeah. I don't know where I pulled that out of, yep. but anyway. Um, but usually people will say, Oh, you're always so happy. You know, yeah, well, I'm not always happy and I am stressed at, at times, and I do a pretty good job of stress management. But the reason why I'm late this morning is because I was sitting in the parking lot 25 minutes ago, but I was doing an email to my veterinarian. Oh, God. No, it was a good email because, okay. first of all, okay, so I'm going to update you. This is really important because this is real life. The stress of my life has been taking care of my cat who has been very ill mm -hmm. with pancreatitis, yep. and then he got a subsequent little things that come with pancreatitis and then it takes time so he ended up with a feeding tube last week good lord yeah 
Did we talk about that? Did no, you know that? I don't think so. Okay. So I think it was last Wednesday night. Yeah. After my show last Wednesday night, he ended up with a feeding tube because he went back into the emergency room on Tuesday before I came home and spin forward to Sunday. We picked him up because he has a high Billy Rubin. Now, if you don't know what a Billy Rubin is, do you know what a Billy Rubin is? I've heard of it before, but I can't pull well, out the definition. Because we all have them. We all, okay. we all have them. And so here's a quick education for people in general, because I get this a lot too, is that, oh my God, how can a cat have pancreatitis? Or even they'll say a dog. Or like, well, mammals have the same thing that human beings have. You know why? Because we're mammals. Yeah. So if we have diabetes, cat can have diabetes if we have pancreatitis cat can have pancreatitis if we have cancer so it's a one-to-one -one thing but obviously treatments are a little different but they're similar but anyway so um he has pancreatitis and a little bit of ibs and it takes a while to resolve but it wasn't resolving so he has a he has a very high bilirubin um which basically means that his liver is not doing very well essentially i could go into the whole description but when the liver is not processing correctly mm -hmm. and you see this in people, I mean, so you, so I'll give a, a human experience when people are not processing correctly, like when they're alcoholics or when they have um, sepsis, they will become yellow and mm -hmm. jaundiced. Um, so much to my surprise, when I came home last week and I went to see him after I did my show, I went to see him in the hospital when he was tubed and he looked like a glow stick. And did he? He looked like a bright yellow highlighter. And I hadn't seen that. And I, of course, I got mad at John because John was here taking care of him when I was away. Right. And I said to the nurse, because John wasn't with me, I said, did my husband bring him in and not mention to me that he looked like a glow stick? Because I would have known what was wrong. <laughs> and they were so protective of John. Like, no, 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 he didn't. He was actually, he didn't turn yellow until he was yeah, here. Yeah, I was going to say. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, because I was like, that's a pretty good assessment that there's something wrong if he's bright yellow like this. So. I'm happy to report, though, that today he's it's stress transference right there. <laughs> transference of anger. Yes. Yeah. I'm happy to report, though, that from yesterday today he, to today, his yellow glow stick has almost resolved itself. Nice. We are back to normal color. Almost. Now, I don't know if that means that his bilirubin is down from like his fatal level of it, but I'm thinking, yes, yeah. we are going back down the line because we went from you want to have like almost like almost no numbers showing on Billy Rubin. So he was at a two, two Saturdays ago and he was at 22 Ooh. on Sunday, yeah. which is like not good. So, so it's been a little stressful. So he's on tube feeding, which is every six hours, which is like having a child. Cause in the middle of the night, when you have a baby, you get up and feed them. So I'm tube feeding in the middle of the night. So I'm a little tired. Yeah. And good Lord. Yeah. Oh, and I'm, you know, <laughs> training for the marathon which I missed my run this morning because tube feeding was at seven. So I missed my run this morning. So I have to pick it up later tonight at some point midnight yeah. for the next meeting. <laughs> um, but anyway, so it's been a little stressful. So I was in the car doing my email because he goes in today and I will not be able to go with him. So I had to do my clinical email to the veterinarian who I'm sure more than appreciates my take on the world You're telling the veterinarian how to do their job you know what you were telling the vet how to do their job oh no i was telling him how his status is i never okay. tell anyone how to do their job because yeah. you know why people tell me how to do my job a lot and yeah. and i always say well if you think dr google can do a better job you should go you should pay them to do the job 
everyone thinks they're so a psychological expert. I just reported. Yeah. I reported as an accurate reporter of what was going on and that we have green lights all over the place that he's doing really well. Minus the fact that he did almost choke to death this morning because, <laughs> and I'm not kidding. There's no exaggeration here. He has. So if you've never seen a, a tube in, they put this little collar around their necks with a Velcro thing with underneath the sutures that keeps the tube in place. So it doesn't slide down his throat because <clears throat> it's surgery to put it in. Look, <laughs> Lou's shaking his head like he can't believe this. With a cat they had gauze, and they have this gauze yeah. sticking out. Well, he's doing really well, so he's been grooming and whatever. So I left him, and I wasn't watching him, and all of a sudden I hear this guttural cry, screaming cry, and I'm like, I'm thinking, oh my god, he's having a heart attack. Something's wrong. I go over, and he's in this cat tower in the tube, and he's straining his neck, and he, he's licked the gauze because he's caught it, and it's going down his throat. Oh, god. So he's... <laughs> Can you imagine going through all this and then he chokes to death on yeah, the gauze? Right. So I went, I was like shaking and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this stupid gauze because it won't stay underneath. You know, no one really cares about the story, but yeah. I do. I had to cut the gauze. It won't stay under. So I had to include that in my email today that when they see him, could they please fix the gauze? Secure the gauze, yeah. I know. First world problems. I know. But this is my child. No, no, that's the thing. I think and people, this is stressful. I think a lot of people are going to be relating to it because if you have distress, I mean, if you have distress of the family member, obviously, you'd have distress of the family member. But it's it's a whole nother thing with the pet. It's a whole nother thing, and everyone has their own fur babies, so they all right. they all understand the level of stress this is this is causing. Right. Yeah. Everybody's problems count, and I am putting out there that as a doctor in psych, I actually will say that no, I don't always smile, and I sometimes have a little bit of stress. This is actually the most stressed I've been in a while. I can't even remember the last time I was really stressed, Yeah. but this one is right over the cliff. <laughs> well, it's tough because this is like a nor'easter. I mean, stress yes. is cumulative. So what happens is you, you can, it, it drops and then you shovel it out if you're doing well, but when it's continually dropping and you continually, you know, get, yes. your, get your finger in the dike, I mean, it can be tough. Yeah. And it was very quick and unexpected. So, you know, and so, but I'm very happy. But this is I'm, a week now. This is a week of two. sustained, two weeks of sustained two. stress. Yeah. And in, and the first week was, he was in the hospital right before I left to go away. And then I, he, and then he came home. And then while I was away, he got sicker and had to go back in. That's when the whole tube thing happened. Yeah. And then became a highlighter, <laughs> a bright glow stick of, you have no idea how shocking it was to see how yellow he was. I was like, what? Wow. And then, of course, I was mad at John. <laughs> John just wrote our, our tough kid. But um, I, I do have to say, too, that this this lovely child of mine, his name is Mush. People always call him Mush. No. Or Moosh. It's not yeah. that. It's Mush. Yeah. Um, like Mushmallow. Um, when he was one, he got hit by a car because he got out and he got hit and it broke his back and he almost died. And he, oh, it was, that's a long story, yeah. but he had 17 staples down his back and he has a lovely piece of very expensive titanium in his back. So that was at one. Then he got cancer a few years ago. He got diabetes because of the cancer Wow. and probably related to this whole, he's cancer free and he hasn't, and he's actually cancer free. Cause of course we had to test it for this time around, make sure. But, um, and then now he has pancreatitis, which, because he's diabetic right so that sort of doesn't surprise anybody right yeah. but he is only 14 now before you say oh my god that's so old no 
for a cat, that's not, that's not old. So people, dog years, that's old. Yeah. Cat years, that's like a six or seven year old dog. Now, if it's an outdoor cat, that would be the lifespan of it. But if like a, a Dr. Kim cat, 20, 21, 22, yeah. because, you know, but this cat has beat so many odds and he's not an outdoor cat. That whole thing with don't let your cats out. Kitties who go outside die. That's the quote of my vet. So no outdoor cats. Um, but uh, this cat is amazing. And so, you know, people don't relate necessarily to animals. And a lot of people say, oh, it's just a cat. Well, no, it's important. And it's my family member. And, you know, like your child, I don't yeah. have the same thing. So I'm very attached to my children and I would do anything for them. Only so. people that don't have pets say that. You what? Only people that don't have pets say that. And I'm not the biggest cat no, guy, because but I, I have, understand. I actually have a couple clients that have pets and they feel the same way. Really? Yeah. And it surprises me because yeah. I'm like, really? Maybe you shouldn't have kids or pets, but you know. But but yes, I think by I mean, and large. At a certain people... point, it makes tough to financial decisions, which of course adds to the stress. But yeah, I mean, it's a child. I mean, you're totally invested in the animal. Right. You just have to take out four extra mortgages. <laughs> I did I did write as a tongue-in-cheek humor thing at the bottom of my email today to the amazing Dr. Palladino, who I'm going to end up having on this show, I swear, because he's so good. But Dr. Palladino, I did write to him and say, and I won't say the amount, I said, we are now at this amount of treatment in dollar amount. I would like to start doing dishes or just can I have a wing named after me at the hospital? Because, you know, at this juncture. Yeah. Ha ha. Yeah, man. Yeah. Another stress. You know, small house. We had a piece on uh, this next door neighbor, which is a site, you know, from, from my end out by Plum Island and stuff like that. And yeah. someone was actually just soliciting donations to get their dog to pay to pay the upfront dog bill until i guess there's a there's a care plan that'll loan but you haven't got approved yet and you got to pay it up front to get the procedure done and it's like can you imagine the amount of stress that it's, you're under that you're going public to you know solicit for contributions just listen, to get it you? crossed my mind but yeah. if i wasn't soliciting for my boston marathon fundraiser that yeah. i by the way i'm still 400 dollars away from from my goal so anyone out there wants to give me 400 dollars today to stop my stress of having to reach that goal that'd be great but um there's raffle tickets left right i still have raffle tickets yep. to go so yes buy a raffle ticket so you can win um but uh and you'll put up the link but um i digress but the stress of that is so i so i go to this place that's this huge hospital now like very popular very good hospital here in massachusetts for the, for vet care in terms of like emergency care not my regular vet and the amount of money that it costs just to walk in the door for an emergency is it, I can tell it stresses people out just because, you know, and, and if you don't have the means or you don't have like the extra ability to have credit or to, to do credit care credit and people are like, why don't you have pet insurance? Okay. So I don't have pet insurance on this particular animal because this particular animal has pre-existing conditions that won't be covered. So they won't cover him. My titanium. So it instead of costing me a thousand dollars, it because I don't have pet insurance, it costs a lot. So this is like a an amazing stress on people, like you were just saying, like that yeah. people go into where I went last week and I said to my lovely cousin and his wife, I said at dinner on Sunday night, I said, I'm thinking of going to GoFundMe. I need a GoFundMe page. And then Heather so lovely said, 
you're still fundraising for the marathon. I don't think it's a good idea to be trying to double dip. I'm like, I'm not double dipping. No, I just I need help. I know, right? It's just so hard though. But it's, but it's, and so I feel bad because I, I'm, and people who are online on their social media, see it all the time. People will put out posts all the time for like, I need help financially to save my, my fur baby. Um, so it's stressful and, uh, and money. And I'm not reading the comments because I can't see them. Jerry says our cat was DX with a small cell lymphoma. She's eight currently taking her chemo like a champ. Yes. Yes. I, my, this, so Jerry, my cat that I'm talking about had, um, a lymphoma as well. And that's what they cured and they did chemo and stuff and it was great and fixed. Um, John says more expensive to treat animals than humans. It seems. Yeah. Well, yeah, Out of it's, pocket, yeah. it's a multi-billion dollar business multi-billion dollar business good morning claire from louisiana i bet it's nice and warm there it's not warm here it was snowing this morning yep oh wellington florida i just had a client down there in wellington riding wellington's very famous for horses and is it riding yeah very beautiful expensive horses and my client has a pony that she was down there with and he's competing and so on and so forth so um but welcome everybody as I go on and on about my stressful <laughs> cat thing. But I, I so actually. So what do we do? Because we all sit in this type of stress on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and if you're not. Vent. If you're not good at it, it it builds up. Good morning, Mary. Hi, Mary. I love Mary. I haven't seen Mary in a few months. Mary, Mary and I do similar stuff. Well, we don't do similar stuff, but we both work for Big Cat Rescue. So hi, Mary. Um, but uh what do we do with the buildup? Well, first of all, venting is a good thing because <laughs> when you're at that level, you have to put it somewhere. So yep. it's cathartic, right? So being able to talk about it, being able to put it somewhere. Um, and venting is not the same thing as complaining. It, so there's a difference. Complaining is just, I don't know. It's just talking about it to yep. just bitch. Yep. Right. But it's about just kind of going through it in your head. Like I just told the whole story out and it feels, I don't know if it really feels exceptionally much better, but at least now a hundred billion people now know about it with me. Right. So, um, but it's about really putting it out there and, and managing it. What I've been doing that I can say, I, I try to follow my own advice that I give to other people under stress is taking some time for myself, mm -hmm. um, to collect myself, to stay in the moment so that, cause you can, in stressful things, whether it's this or something else, you get into that forward spin of like yep. what's coming into the future of, catastrophizing or I call it awfulizing and, yep. and just becoming so overwhelmed with what if, and what could be, I, I try really hard in general. I'm pretty good at it to stay away from any of the future forecasting just because I'm not that person. But when you have this kind of stress, you go right into, as my actual vet would say, she's like, he's not going to die. And I'm like, you can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> like he could. Yeah. And she's like, yes, but you know, and because I have history of having horrible five years ago, a horrible thing happened to my soulmate for a baby, the, you yeah. know, Kalila with cancer and she died very rapidly. And that was a whole different story. Um, and that was an oddity that an anomaly on the board. So being able to manage on a daily to stay in the moment and not to ca catastrophize right away that, you know, it's, you know, yep. it's over, it's done. Um, so, and humor, 
I use a lot of humor, as you can tell. I think humor is really good. I try to be a lot, you know, even in my emails like I did, like I try to be funny about it because it's relieving. It's also sarcasm is a way to protect oneself, as we know. Yeah. So I use a lot of that because it helps me just stay focused. Because if not, I go through that, you know, I'm almost about to cry face burn thing. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> even and there's nothing going on. Like I'm in the middle of a moment of a day and there's no bad things going on. But I'm, I start thinking about projecting out. I'm like, uh oh, and I have to reel it back in, you know, so it's, you know, normal human experience. But so, you know, being able to use humor, um, taking a moment for yourself. Of course, I run, which that's why I said this morning I missed it because now I'm in my head thinking, oh, God, I got to get it in. Not because it's just for yeah. training, but it gives me my outlet. Mm -hmm. So getting the exercise in um, and making sure that because some people will overeat when they're stressed and some people will stop eating, making sure I don't change my routine because I'm a notorious go just break all my rules for myself and just be like, oh, well, screw it. I'm going to just go eat the world because mm, mm -hmm. I want like, oh, cookie. So but the run is good because it gets you in a place where the noise floor goes down and the accumulation kind of stops. Right. So it just it just lowers the noise floor and cleans everything out for you. Right. And I learned that whole thing about sarcasm and humor. I learned it from movies. And I always admired the characters in these action movies that in the face of death, they were cracking a joke. It's like, yeah, that's what I want to be right there. <laughs> so, well, so I, I use that a lot. You know? Well, sarcasm is so sarcasm is two pieces to it. Sarcasm is is what it's all, it's a defense mechanism, right? It's useful. It's positive and it's also negative. It can go yeah. in reverse. So I have like clients that I try to get to stop using it because that's like their go-to for everything. And they use it because they're always in defense mode no matter what. Yeah. And then of course I have some people that I'm like, you need to actually use a little bit of it because that will help you get through. Um, but most of the time people are so heightened to coping strategy to use it. Like, yo, in the face of death, I'm going to use a crack of, you know, something like that. But sarcasm is often rooted in, that feeling of inadequacy and feeling less than and when it's used in those contexts yeah. and used for um, to stay away from angry responses. So sarcasm sometimes can be that passive aggressive swipe that's ha ha. I, I really don't mean what I'm saying, but I really do. But yeah. I'm going to couch it under the sarcastic thing because I'm really angry or I'm really something negative fill in the blank towards you or towards the situation. That's where I try to get people to kind of see that instead of saying like, you know, my sarcasm when I type today, what I typed to the doctor yeah. <laughs> was yeah, that was me being sarcastic going, um, I'm bleeding out yeah. <laughs> financially. Can you, can you just let me do some dishes? Cause I'm, yeah. <laughs> there's no anger. There's no, um, there's no maneuvering or manipulation to get someone to do what I want them to do because I wasn't asking for anything. I'm just being funny right. because it's stressful. Um, but sarcasm can be a useful tool, but it also can be detrimental, but it is a, it, but that's where humor is like, it's the line between humor and then going over the line and how are you using it and right. what are you using it for? Are you, and is it hurting anybody? Because sarcasm can really hurt people. Um, Cause it's usually that, you know, sort of the, I'll call it the Catholic guilt thing. Like I am going to say this, but I really don't mean what I'm saying to mean it, to make you do this thing, you know? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. um, and being that I'm Catholic, I can say that. Um, but it's that it's that maneuvering thing. And you have to be really careful of that because that's not really cathartic. That's not really healthy. It doesn't really help you. It does hurt other people because it crosses and yep. violates an emotional boundary. But um, but in uh, most cases, you know, if you can kind of reel it in and know that it's 
self-contained and stays in your moment, that's really good. I think you defined a good line there. It's with humor, without humor. Sarcasm without humor is manipulation. And right. Sarcasm with humor is humor and diffusing. It's right. It's coping. It, well, yeah. And I think it's so if it's at yourself and you're just doing it for yourself, that's one thing. <clears throat> when it's doing it to maneuver someone else into like getting them to do what you want or to. Um, and most people will say, I didn't do that. That's not what I intended to do. And my response to people with that is, your honor, I didn't intend for him to die when I stabbed him, but he bled out and he did. Yeah. Just, it doesn't matter that you didn't mean to, or that you didn't realize you were doing that. So, and many people don't realize that they're doing it. Many people do realize they're doing it and say that they don't realize that they're doing it just because they don't want to be in the caught position to maneuvered when you it, think about it it's kind of an insidious way to express yourself if yes. you're if you're sincere about it's your covert sarcasm. yeah it's incredibly covert to yeah. get what you need it's a need getter i need something i'm not direct to how i'm asking for it so i'm going to maneuver you to get what i need right yeah. guilt it's yep. guilting someone essentially yep. i mean sarcasm really is a lot of guilt in it to get people to move like you know like um I have, a, I had a client, I think I've talked about it before, many years ago that she was young, like five, six, and her mom was getting a divorce from dad. Dad had cheated on her um, with a younger woman and all these things. Like, so the little girl came in and after the first or second time, she was supposed to have a play date. And I asked her how the play date was. I'm really shortening the story, but the little girl, mom was sitting out in the waiting room. The little girl goes, oh, I didn't have the play date. And I said, oh, what happened? I'm thinking, you know, yeah. whatever, somebody got sick. She goes, well, mommy said that we could have ice cream and pizza if I stayed home with her, because if I left her, I'd be like daddy leaving. Uh, and it, I mean, I'm paraphrasing yeah, it because it was yeah. a little bit more to it than that, but it was really maneuvering. So I literally, I remember getting up, walking to the door, opening my door and saying, hey, mom. <laughs> and she goes, oh man, I'm in trouble. She goes, I know what I'm in trouble for. She knew. Yep. And she came in and I had the daughter go out. I'm like, we really can't say those things. And she's like, I said, you're setting her up for guilt. Now, spin forward 20 years. I, I still see them. Yep. And the daughter's already gone to college really? and wow. yeah. it's really cool because they always bring up, <laughs> they remember that, yeah. you know, usually kids don't remember, but that was such a poignant moment of yeah. a, a passive aggressive covert sarcastic mom was like, I was just being sarcastic. A five-year-old doesn't know sarcasm. Yeah. They take it literally that, you know, she didn't have the skills to not be maneuvered. And you see that in teenagers all the time. And, you know, parents or people who've lost a loved one and they're a single parent and they'll say like, you can't, you know, you can't spend time with your friends this weekend because you haven't spent time with me or you have like, there's things that happen. It, it, people say that they don't mean to, they don't intend to maneuver the person, but they're maneuvering the person because they're getting they're Instead of just saying, Hey, I need for you to be home. I want yeah. you to stay with me. I want you to do something with me. Instead, they, don't think they're going to get what they want. So they just maneuver them. That's what I mean about the insidious nature of it, because you should be healthy enough so that if you have a need, like I'd like to see you this weekend, just say, I'd like to see you this weekend, as opposed to doing it through a manipulative conversational track. Right. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I'm, I, I was listening to you, but I just looked at um, how Jerry was just saying that the $2,000 dental work, sometimes our pets get better care than ourselves. Yes. And just really quickly, cause I want to come back to what you just said, Lou. Um, Bean, my baby of my family, Bean, yep. who I'm going to get pet insurance on because he's a walking diabetic coming, <laughs> <laughs> as you know, because he's 19 pounds. Yep. Um, 
he has a dental one tooth that needs to be extracted and it's $900 and he's not getting that done yet because I have another one in front of him. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, so there's my humor going, ha, huh, he's not getting that done. That's nothing. That's literally a spit in the bucket, 900 bucks. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so I'm definitely feeling for you, Jerry, about the $2,000 teeth thing. Oh my God. Um, but so go back to what you were saying, because I think that was important. Can because, you make that point again? Because if you have a need, if you're trying to express a need or you're trying to get someone to do something or recognize something and you're doing it through hurtful sarcasm. Right. It's really insidious because if you have this need, you should be at a certain point with it where you can just say, listen, I'd like to see you this weekend. I haven't seen you in a while. I'd like to see you this weekend. Be direct about it as opposed to manipulating. Right. So he, I, I'm 100% with you because that would be the healthy advice, right? And this is what you get. And you know this, right? This is what I get in my office a lot when I say, why not be direct? It's why well, don't, here's the first one. I always laugh at this because I I pointed out, yeah. I don't want to make the person feel like they have to. <laughs> <laughs> I and I I do give that look of, huh? Which is because... the whole point of the indirect approach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, wait, what are you talking about? You're doing. You're already doing that. So, and they don't. Many times, I mean, some people will absolutely know what they're doing, but many times they're like, oh yeah, didn't think of it like that. But you know, they're like, but I want them to do it on their own. I'm like, when you maneuver them and you are manipulating yeah. a person, and I don't use the word manipulation very often at all because it's got a bad connotation, but it's very maneuvering because yep. it's a coping strategy. Yep. Instead of being straightforward, a person learns to use this tactic or use tactics like this to come around the back door to get what they want and need because they've been taught that when they either ask for what they want or need, it gets rejected or shut down or somehow the person feels bad and they don't want to have to deal with the uncomfortable feeling of that. So it's easier, so to speak, air quoting for people that can't see me to just go that covert insidious route. But in fact, it's really not because you're doing right. damage and you're doing the same thing. It's just, and it's such a, it's an eye roller for me. It's like, uh-huh. And I'm, cause I was, I was, Oh, I, there's that part of the book that people haven't died yet. that I, <laughs> I had people around me in my life growing up that were and are notorious for using that tactic and never have yeah. broken that tactic. So I am not moved by maneuvering or guilting at all. <laughs> <laughs> I have built that. Like, I just, I'm like, mm, I can spot it a mile away. I can smell it. And I'm like, mm -mm, yeah, nope. Well, in a healthy relationship, I mean, my, my daughter and I were so busy. We're trying to get together all the time. And she'll often like, can you come by for dinner tonight? And I can't. And it's like, just be open with it. I can't, but I want to get together soon. And it's like just recently this week, there was that situation. She had some free time. Her husband was at a concert and she was alone for the night. Do you want to come over and have dinner? I said, I can't tonight. And then I just called her up the next day and I go, let's get lunch. Right. Just, you accommodate. It's like, if you have a good relationship, they don't feel bad about saying no. Or if I ask her, right. you, you want to get dinner? She doesn't have to feel guilty and me because she knows that she's safe with me, even if she says, can't do it tonight. But see, here's the here's the important part about that, right? Is because you have what in psychology we just call it a secure attachment. Yeah. First of all, we have a secure attachment and a healthy boundary about that there's no worry or concern that it's it's a lack of of respect or love right. that you can say no and have it not mean something or you can say yes and have it not mean something else right. that you're able to actually be secure enough in the relationship that I can't doesn't mean I don't love you or right. I right but that's a really unusual uh, unfortunately I have to say that it's really unusual to find 
people who have that. Well, it takes time and you build it. And well, and so kudos to you because what happened was in my opinion and knowing you, you worked really hard when they, your kids were younger at being a builder of the relationships around, you know, high expectation, but good high warmth and praise and love and unconditionally, which is not a common uh, bonding tactic. It's authoritative parenting, which is the best style of parenting. Usually there's the other three styles that fall into it. Well, interpersonal relationships, I, I always term it as safety. It's like we can have a conversation. We can disagree about something. I cannot fulfill an expectation or, or something that you need. Right. But we're okay. Right. You know, it doesn't, you know, obviously it doesn't mean I don't love you. But and for them, it's not going to threaten the, the quality of the relationship. Right. And, that, and that's what I'm saying is it's, yeah. I mean, in my office, in my anecdotal evidence of all the years is that that's, I end up working with people on how to build relationships like that because you taught your kids early on and they, and they, and you collaborated together to do an environment of um, mutual respect and age, age appropriately grew them up like that. So you trained them how to treat you and they trained you how to treat them. Yep. And there was unconditional love there. Unconditional love is a rarity and people, I mean, if it wasn't, there wouldn't be like vet care. There wouldn't be a multi-billion dollar self-help book business and all the videos that are out there to help people with the fact that they have attachment issues, bond issues, separation anxiety issues, relational issues, addiction. Addiction is all about lack of connection and human yep. interpersonal relationships. So people seek out other things, eating, drugs, drinking, sex, gambling, to fill the need of the lack of relationship because they don't get love or unconditional love from someone that they have as a primary. So they go right to all those things. But a lot of that is personal processing. In other words, there's two sides of it. There's the way you interact with the other person, but there's the way you read what the other person is doing. And when you start mm-hmm. to accept it as, uh, hey, my son moved away, moved to Brooklyn. It's like a lot of people would take that personally. It's right. like, you don't love me. You moved to Brooklyn. Right. No, he's living his life. And it's right. like, it's not about me. It's right. it's perfectly fine. Well, and I think, and I, so oh, such a, I mean, such a great topic because yeah. there's, it's so that pattern, not the not the healthy thing you just said, but the other thing of you moved away so you don't love me or you didn't come home for Christmas, you went over there so you love them more or yeah. that is so much more the norm than not. Oh, like, yeah. And, and it's like I have a client that I'm working with right now that has a, a boy. He has a, she has a, as she comes, he's turning into a young man and he's just on the tween, right on the cusp of teen. And so she was with me the other day and she's like, I told, you know, he wanted to go to a dance. And he was going to the dance, but the dance fell on family night. It's her only child. So when she was telling me, she goes, you'll be so proud. She yeah. goes, I'm, I, I totally said, yes, go have fun. And then she goes, but in here, I'm telling you, she goes, Dr. Kim, all I want to say is, how could you do that to me? You're leaving me. <laughs> she goes, but I didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> and she was, it was a win for her because she's like, I had it in my head because my mom, she goes, my mom used to do that to me. Yep. And and she came from like the divorce family and all that stuff. So her mom really utilized a lot of like, you can't leave me. If you leave me, you don't love me. Yep. You're like, like this is, this is a common it's narrative. Back, it's back to control, internal control of your own outcomes. Right. And a lot of that is not, the circumstances didn't change. Her reaction to the circumstances right. changed. Right. And that skill set is so important. And for me, I started developing it in certain situations. I don't have it everywhere. I really right. don't have it everywhere because there was so much stuff. Right. It's like I gotta, I, I gotta correctly identify what's the real threat and what isn't the real threat. Right. You know. So I got really, and of course, with the kids, were a different story. I mean, kids well, are kids, but yeah. 
and and I well yes and so I think that that's a good point too that y- you have to be able to identify where you have it and and where y- you don't and yep. and know to do what you need to do to make sure you stay healthy in the places you don't like some people have to stay away from those environments yep. or people um certainly I can say on a professional and personal level when you have a triggered environment of of a place where you have that feeling of loss of self or loss of control or that you're in the, the, the path of that, it becomes incredibly stressful and, incre- you know, the recovery rate. I, I have a couple people that I, if I'm around them for more than literally five or 10 minutes, it takes me, well, it doesn't take me as long as it used to, but it, it used to take me three, four weeks to recover after being with yeah. them for a short time. Cause I'm like, Oh, but the answer is to learn, try to learn to deal with your own reaction. Right. Because you can't it's how you end up responding person. and not getting yeah. triggered by right. them. And triggered is such an overused word, but it's not being reactionary, not getting emotional. Because, you know, at the end of the day, what you realize is, and you've heard me say this, it doesn't matter. If it ma- if if they matter to you and their opinion really matters and they make a difference in your life that they're, you know, that whatever they're saying is in 99% of the time, it doesn't. It's just words to maneuver you. And this is hokey, but someone presented it to me in a funny way. They said, you can't blame a pig for having a short neck. And they what? You can't blame a pig for having a short neck. Right, exactly. You look at the you look at the other person and you understand that they may not be saying it in a way that you think it's hurting you. They're, they're just, that's just who they are and the way they, they do it. And I, and I, it's think not, that, it's not you. You, you just got to recognize your partner and try to control your partner. So, two things about that. I think that people, because I grew up Irish Italian and people don't mince words. And it's not because what they say is the final word. It's, it's just, just the way they are. It's the way they interact. Right. It's the way they grew up. It's the way the families interact. You know? So, again, so there's two things about that. So, I, I often tell people when they say, well, this is who I am. This is how I grew up. This is, you know, this is how I talk. Like, that's great. But you have to realize you do have an impact on someone. Oh, yeah. So there's the two things. It's like, yes. And also, yes, you're impacting another person. And I have many people, both personally and professionally, will say, well, that's who I am. I know, but it's not working for you because it's ruining your relationships or it's getting in the way of your, you know, and some people are like, yes, and they change it. And some people are like, well, too bad. I'm this way. And they don't move on it. And they'd rather be who they are yeah. despite the fact that they're impacting someone in a negative unhealthy way then be effective in that relationship then be affected to have to change yeah. so it's either you know change or oh well so and it's hard because then you have to like especially if it's not a relationship you can really leave or move out of easily like marriages or children and whatever you know friendships are a little bit different because you can kind of go oh all right but when you have those kind of locked in relationships and people are doing that which i see a lot of work it's or work people you work with yeah well, people work you work for yeah right you kind of have to you know hide in the in the cubby you know I, I have a client that often will tell me that when when those things happen like we just talked about she goes into the separate office and like pulls the blinds down and sits in there so no one can book her <laughs> because she gets she says she gets so ramped up and she goes there's no reason because at the end of the day she goes she i know that it's not impacting me but it is in that moment. Yeah. So she has to take herself away from it's it. It's a good sports lesson because often yes. you're dealing with coaches in, the, in that type of relationship and you just, you try not to take it personally. You, right. You, you try to understand the relationship for what it is. But, and if coaches are good at that, they give you, they're rough on you, but they give you that safety. Well, so he, that's the difference between, you know, here, talk about like a good transition there. It's the difference between good coaches and really terrible coaches because I'm, I was in a sport, as you know, that there truly were, 
yeah. terrible people, yeah. like not good people, let alone being a good coach. They just blatantly, not insidiously, blatantly, overtly used horrific language, narratives. In many cases, because bad things, your and coaches do do that. In many cases, in that instance, I would imagine because in many cases, your performance is their performance. Yes. They're less concerned about the quality of your performance for you. How, it's how they your, look. Yeah, exactly. It's what you're going to do yeah. to make them look really good or how yeah. it's going to reflect on them as a coach if you don't perform the way that they want you to. So you're like whatever. this little alter identity that they right. have to cope with. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's And that's why I discourage. I, I encourage people to be coaches for their little league teams and all that stuff on some level. But I often will tell, especially when I come to know some some parents personalities, I'm like, you shouldn't be coaching your kid. Yeah, because you can't you can't. But half I won't say half. I'd say a large amount of problems on sports teams, especially at the recreational level, obviously not at the pro level because it doesn't happen in that way. But at the recreational level, it really whittles down to either the kid I'm seeing is not being played or whatever because they aren't the coach's kid yep. or because they are the coach's kid. They are just mentally off the chart with pressure and stress and all kinds of other worries because, because of that. And so yes, coach, but coach someone else's team. Don't coach your kid's yeah. team. Don't coach your own kid. No, I think um, your kid should get a different authoritarian to deal with. Uh, yeah. A, a different authoritative. Because you want to, no. you don't want the tyranny, which is the thing. That, right. No, but I, right. what I meant was someone that they have to deal with other than their parents. It's always right. a good exercise that early coaching, especially like Little League and stuff like that. For a couple of times a week, you have to deal with somebody else other than right. their parents. I think it's useful for them. Right. And I th and so talk about, okay, so it kind of loops back into like what is control? Because a lot of parents will want to control. That's why they want to coach. So they, so that it never has, the kid never has an experience outside of them because then they lose control. It's like, if you go to the other place, you don't love me. I'm not enough for you kind of thing. I have a dancer right now that is coached by a parent and she's an amazing dancer and she wants to really broaden her horizons and could really probably go to Juilliard. I mean, she's amazing. Her mom and her dad in the, in the spaces of her life are holding her back in a lot of ways because they have a mindset of she's lucrative for their their studio. She's got she's got a pull for them, yeah. and so they you can tell that they're pulled like oh she's good and she could go on, but yeah, it's a little, it's more important for her to kind of stay as a townie home base and do for yeah. them. And but as an athlete, as a performer, that response is so skewed because it's your parents. You need to get out and earn your respect outside of the bubble of your your family, right? Yeah. I'm, but, the, but well, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. there's so many things in that, yeah. right? Um, I think that, I think that it gets into talking about parenting, right? So parenting in general, are you parenting to parent or are you parenting because you're having a vicarious experience of your child through you to be, yeah. um, so important, athletics so important to have so them much. be a status yeah. symbol for yeah. you to make your, I mean, you see, I mean, movies often are written around football players and dads of football, you know, but it happens in lots of sports and academics too. I mean, you see kids in school that have to be top A students and high honors, AP, blah, 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 because, you know, their dad's a doctor, their mom's a doctor, they are expected to be these things. And then they, they have a lot of emotional strain 
because the pressure is there because, and, and I always, I always get this from the parent who brings their, their teenagers, it's usually teenagers, the parents like immediately right when they first meet me, they're like, I didn't give them this pressure. This is self pressure. And that's a red flag right there. Like, yep. why are you telling me that? Yeah. And I, I want to look at them and go, Oh, you shouldn't have said that because now, yeah, you know, I know you're guilty about it <laughs> now, but here's yeah. the thing. I don't jump in. And, and this is, I think, important for clinical. I don't know if everyone does this, but I make a point to just note that in the back of my head, because there are some cases where that's true. They aren't actually pressuring. And I have found some that I'm like, oh, this actually isn't a parent issue. Far too between them. Usually when a parent tells me that, even though I put it in the back burner and say, okay, and I do the process through the history and get to know the kid and all yeah. No, it's coming directly from the parent and the pressure. They they say that they don't have expectation and they'll go through the whole story and be like, but you know, and this and that, and they go through the, yeah, nope, you're still pressuring your child because you want them to be, you know, the, you know, the, the Boston Bruin, the Celtic, the Red Sox player, yeah. the Patriots player, the Buccaneer, whatever it is. And, and just like in gymnastics, I always tell people, because I used to do gymnastics coaching and parent, everybody thinks their kid's an Olympian. Everybody thinks yep. they're going to Juilliard and going to dance for New York City Ballet. Everybody thinks that they're going to be uh, every, you know, that's fine. However, I always tell parents it, when they have these intense kids who are really good athletes, 1% of the 1% at the top, make it to that. Yeah. Remember that. And that statistic usually blows the parents' mind. Even if I have like a, I have a high-end coach for rec leagues right now that's actually got lots of connections and in he's pressuring his kid a lot to do a sport. And when I said that to him, he knows that statistics, but he's never applied it to his kid yeah. in his mind because his kid, his kid's going. I'm like, but what if your kid doesn't? Because it's 1% of the 1%, you know, there were only 30 girls at the time I was doing gymnastics. It's restructured now because I'm older, but there were only 30 girls on the team for the whole country at the time. Yep. Out of millions of little girls doing gymnastics, and I was one of them. Millions. You got, it, you know, we'll go even with 900,000 little girls doing gymnastics, and you got 30 whittles down to on a team of the whole country. Yeah. But you're going to go to the Olympics. It's just There's nothing wrong with the dream, but be mindful that the pressure you put on your kid is in how you do it. There's nothing wrong with helping motivate. There's nothing wrong with having goals and having purpose. And but don't ruin it for them. Don't ruin the experience of, you know. And hockey is a very insidious sport like that. Everybody, everybody thinks their kids going to the NHL. <laughs> but what happens is, especially here in New England, because I was a USA hockey ref for like 10 years, and every game was the seventh game in the Stanley Cup final. No matter if it's a six-year-old or you know, an eight-year-old, it's just like everything was so there was so much pressure but what also happens here is you get that additional pressure as the kids get older because you start seeing scholarships yes and that, that and it's not necessarily my kid's going to be a pro but god can you get a scholarship right right and then that's that's almost worse because it's a little bit more realistic especially for good players and the kids start to feel that right away i gotta well, I gotta get the scholarship and i'm gonna back that up even further to younger like you got kids like soccer i see in soccer leagues all the time you know they think their kid's going to be the next Pele at nine, Yeah, you know, and they're setting up for, they're going to have a scholarship. If they don't have a scholarship, we can't go to college. And I, when yeah. I hear, when I hear that, I always look at parents and kids when they're even that age. And I say, your kid doesn't need a scholarship to go to college. 
because there's loans for that. Yeah. Don't put the pressure on your kid. And people ask, I don't want my kid to have $100,000 in loans. I'm like, but you also don't want your kids sitting in my office for 25 years because you put the pressure on them. Like, there's always a way to go to college, yep. even if you don't get the scholarships. And so why don't you just let the kid have fun and play and be the best that they can be at the sport? That's a hard sell. Yeah, no, it is. It's such a hard sell, especially when you have parents that want they did they want their kid to do better than they ever did in the sport or the thing that they're doing and they are living through them. And it's so much more present than it's not. Um, and I, mean, I do can... have a self-selected group of thousands of clients a year that I see that have this, but it's a pretty good sample size of generalizability to, to know. And in the research, it bears out very similarly. And there's a Most lot of kids... options for scholarships that kids should be aware of because as you get towards college age, they have to be part of the college financing process to the point where go apply for the scholarship. Right. You should, you should be looking for it. Well, here's an important tip for parents around, like talk about the stress and pressure of a day-to-day -day life around sports <coughs> is statistically kids who are in a sport with anything will typically, if they are under stress, in burnout, under pressure, all those things, the age of 13 to 14, they will quit, yep. cold quit, even with all the stress and pressure, even if the parents are like, if you quit, you're not doing anything for the rest of your life, you're not, they'll quit because, and that's around the age because they're done. Yep. They yep. will just be, I'm done and burned out. And it's, I've been doing this forever and it's not, that number hasn't changed. So they don't even get to the scholarship point because they're like, I'm out, I'm out. Right, I'm not, before, I'm not. right before high school and just they want to get that whole scholarship thing off the table. Uh -huh. They don't want to deal with it. Anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it, at that age, it's, you know, eighth, ninth grade, roughly, sometimes depending on where they fall, it might be a little bit more. Yeah. But they're thinking about like not the kids are not thinking about what they're going to do at college and what college for the most part. There are some people that do. I certainly have clients that do, and I, I help foster that because it's coming from them internally. They have a plan. Yeah, I had a plan. I had a plan from when I was 11 years old. I knew exactly what I was going to do. And I did. And I'm on the same, I'm on, I exactly. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't because anything my parents had to do with it. And if they're listening, it's not anything you had to do with it. It was everything that they had to do with it in terms of what I didn't want to do. Yeah. So I went towards this path. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> it was a Ooh. reaction to it as there opposed that to. Thing that I, I sorry, not sorry. <laughs> the death, the death didn't happen before. That's the, the subtitle of the book. Sorry, not sorry. They finally all died. Sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Right. Um, but that's it's it's really so important that people understand like kids will tap out because they don't think that far ahead. Typically, I mean, they're just trying to be social. They're trying to find their identity in terms of where do I fit in? Who am I? And we're not talking about. Uh, yeah, sometimes it's sexuality because that's like the big thing right now. But it's really about. Who am I? I'm separating and individuating out and try to figure who I am. And if my whole life identity, here's where that thing starts, is yeah. my sport and I don't have anything else and everyone in my life is relying on me to do this. <coughs> Tremendous pressure. Especially if you feel that identity was attached to you. It's not your own identity. It's, yes. it's, it's an expectation you grew up with. Right. Yeah. Right. I remember, I so here's, here's I knew enough because of, the way I was brought up, but I knew enough when I was younger in my pre double digit years that I asked to be a member. I don't even know if they have them anymore. I think they do daisies instead of being, you know, you have to do daisy first before you become a girl scout. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that the 
commitment of how I was raised was like, if you start something, it, I do the whole thing in my practice. If you start something, unless something happens or there's a really horrific thing, you don't quit till the end of like the, yeah. the, 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 the term or the payment or whatever, unless there's something really bad going on. But I was in the mindset back in the day, which many people, not just me, were in the mindset of you sign up, you do it for life and, until death. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I knew. So I wanted to be like the little girl. Everybody in my class was being social and doing Girl Scout daisies and all that. But I was a gymnast and that was when I was little. Yeah. And I was completely discouraged because as soon as I said, I want to do that, I remember my mom, which I'm sure she has a totally different recollection. Remember my mom saying, if you do it, you can't quit. I didn't do it. I didn't, I didn't bother to do it because I knew I would never be allowed to quit. And I got stuck into doing piano like that, which is, you know, I'm using my personal experience. This is what happens to kids. I was, I'm not maybe four and a half, five. I apparently, from what I was told, I told my parents, I want to play piano because everyone around me played piano. Right. We had my mom is a piano player. We had a baby grand in our house, like Steinway, the whole thing. I'm four and a half, five. I tell someone I want to play piano. You can't hold, right? you can't hold your five-year-old no. to that. Right. Yeah. But nonetheless, yeah, that time I didn't know that knowledge about the Girl Scouts that I ended up figuring out through piano because I got stuck playing and I can play piano now, but yeah. I don't play in front of anybody and I don't, and I have a baby grand, yeah. but I don't, because no, I got stuck playing forever. Yeah. You didn't choose it. it was no, I, right. It was on forced you. on me and yeah. I had to do it. And so I don't regret it, but I think back in the day, if I look back at my younger self, oh, I was in resentment mode all the time. Like I hated it. It's funny. Hated it. It's funny. Um, with my son, it was like at the end of little league, when he was going to 90 foot bases, he looked yep. at me and he goes, what if I don't play? And I said, you do whatever you want. If you want, if you want to play, go play. I'm behind you. If you don't want to play, it's not a big deal. Cause he thought it was important to me. And it wasn't. Right. And then on the other hand, I would, I would tell him constantly, do not write, do not go on the radio. And what did he do? He ended up writing and going into radio. And it's like, you know, <laughs> exactly. Don't listen to me. That's exactly. Okay. But he's really good at what he does. He's good at what he does. Because yeah. you didn't pressure it. No. Right. No, it in just fact, I more there. pressured him not to do it. Right. Like, Which is probably a really good thing because yeah. it was like the reactance, right? Reactance is a psychological mm-hmm. phenomenon because he's doing what his free will wants him to do, not he what he's loves, been told to do. He loves to write. But my thing was, find something else you can do. You can write if you want. But it don't go down that path like, is the run, only thing you're doing. And run. Just right down there. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so, I mean, there's. Because he chose it. Right. That was kind of me. De- and I didn't do it intentionally, but that was kind of me detaching it from imposing it on him because that's what his father did. No, just he. In fact, I told him not to do it. So he said, well, right. that's what I want to do. Right. Yeah. And I think and I think that that happened. That does happen, obviously. I mean, there's some really good stories about that. I just don't see. I hear them more outside of my practice because my practice is obviously self-selected for people that are struggling with the issues we're talking about. Yeah. So people come and be like, I can't get untangled from this mess I'm in. Right. Or yeah. my parents won't let me or my and parents are pressuring me. I can't get out. With parenting, I think that difficulty comes from you have to accept really early on that they're not you. They're, they're the parent has completely to accept different that. people. Right. Yeah. The parents don't do that very well sometimes. No, I know. They think they're an extension of them or they right. are them or their success is attached to them. It's like, no, these are completely different people. Even the two kids are completely different kids. Right. From each other. Right. It's like you want to grow what they're what they're good at, what you want to grow their life for them. Well, and that's so. So old school psychology 
would understand that parents back in the day, now we're talking like the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, very much parented kids towards who they are as people. And we know in psychology and psychiatry that if you do that, you're going to have a lot of these mental health issues, yeah. which is why you see a lot of people that come from those eras having way more issues and sitting in the office for those kinds yeah. of issues than you do for younger people with different issues. They should be a lawyer different. like me. They should be a doctor like me. They should take over my business. Right. No. Right. Yeah. And so, so those, those eras, like our era, right. Similar. The, it's that, it's that, um, didn't cross over to being parents of I'm going to parent to my child, to their temperament, not to make them match mine because it's not, that doesn't end up collaborative. It doesn't end up with good stress management, good independence, it, uh, high social IQ, emotional IQ, all those things. What it does is it creates codependency, um, which leads to other things. Right. And then it, and usually social interaction stuff is much harder and lower um, avoidance of relationships or ambivalence towards relationships or higher divorce rates, or yeah. uh, it gets into all of that stuff because the relational model is so skewed and it's not uh, like you talk about with your kids, like it's healthy and bounded in a good way. It's, this map that's got all these endpoints that have no real endpoint because they're all over the place and they're mixed messages and they're controlling and they're going back to sarcasm. There's an insidious thing there that many people don't even subconsciously recognize, but it's there. And then it's just sitting there fueling fire to become stressed out and whatever. I think it's with them and their mom. I think it's because we had kids later. I was 35 when I had my first kid. Yeah. And when you're having a kid at 23, it's hard to separate them that they're different because in A, you think you know everything. My main thing with parenting them at that age was maybe I can save you from the mistakes I made. Right. You know, more the experience of don't don't do this. Right. Not do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Yeah. Right. You try to give them your experience at that age. You've got so many things it's like I want you to avoid this. It's not I want you to do this. It's like I want you to avoid this. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that, so, I mean, certainly the trend is to have kids in the, in people's thirties now way before, you know, or before it was like 18, 19, 20, 21, right. You're not, you haven't had enough life experience to separate yeah, no. yourself out. You're still doing the development until you're 23 as it is just in your own brain and whatever, let alone to figure out life lessons. That's not to say that people aren't adults and they can't do, but having kids that young, if you can wait and hold off until you're later, until you're, you know, even late late twenties, early thirties, it's a it's a better yeah. learning curve for you and a child because you're less likely to be friends, permissive, indulgent, or authoritarian, and like right on top of them, because you're still trying to figure out your own self. Yep. That's why I think there should be tons of parenting classes and wellness classes in high school for kids right out of the gate, but they don't do that yeah. about really talking about that because they they're too busy talking about sex and sexuality which is also important, but they don't talk about the responsibilities that come with, they, they barely teach finance. Yeah, Kids know. don't know how to, what's a checkbook. I know they just do they, the Egyptian uh, civilization every other year for 12 years. Right. But, I, but by the same token, you say that and you're right. And I like the concept of it, but I don't know if I trust them to do it. Well, right. And yeah. you don't. And so, so I will say that, you know, all the wellness teachers I know that I have talked to, which are quite a few in the area. Cause I go with, you know, I talk to the people at high schools, they wouldn't, 
even know where to begin because they're trained a curriculum. They're trained a curriculum of how to teach the curriculum of health and wellness. And it does, it sort of parallels psychology and sociology and the right way to do things. But if a person who's in the role as the physical education teacher slash health and wellness person that teaches that nutritional, they are not equipped despite the fact that they might have a master's in ed. They, I, yeah. I, I do the, oh, Plus you know, the home so, alone face of, oh my God. They're so herded by outside, right? whatever the paradigm of the day is. Whatever. And, and yeah. in school systems, you don't have to have the, you don't have to have the neutrality of your opinion. I hear it all the time. Kids will come to me and say, you know what Mr. So-and-so said or Miss, I'm like, oh my Lord. Mm. Like, cause you don't put that out there in the world. It's not about you, but they, they you know, that's what the class then consists of is like their opinion. Like whether it's, I like this, this candidate or you don't, you know, this, you know, no abortion pro like yeah. you can't do that because you're bringing in your opinion and kids will come home and come to me and say, did you know that so-and-so said there's no this or there's this? And I'm like, well, what do you think? And I do the, what do you think? Yeah. And then I talk about triangulating your, this is a stress reducer too. Triangulate your information. Yep. Goes back to my cat. Instead of thinking he's just going to die, <laughs> look at lots of pieces <laughs> of evidence, right? Just triangulate your, your understanding. Um, yeah, go listen to the opposite. So you're not just listening yeah. to one source. Go listen to the opposite view. Right. And yeah. And here's the thing for kids and teenagers, they have such a hard time. You know, they all go through that phase of like, oh, I realize that my parents don't know everything. But then there's also the kids that have that realization, but they're too afraid to even challenge it because there's so much control over if you think differently than your parent, yep. you're in trouble, yep. um, which is an actual psychological phenomenon. About but there's also the mix in there at the point where they start realizing their parents know it, don't know everything is the time when they usually start thinking they know everything. It, well, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah I'm, aware, I'm aware of that one. Yeah. I, I know that one well. So that's a tough swirly period in there. That's an emotional period. Right. And, and, and that's kind of a thing that happens anyways, because it, it's psychologically teenagers go through the spotlight effect of like everyone, they think everyone's looking at them. Everyone's thinking of them no matter what. Yep. No. And I always point out like if you think like that and all the people in your class think like that, how is anyone having time to actually think about you? And they laugh usually because yep. I'm like, because you have a spotlight on you. You think everyone's yep. doing that, but you're really not. Um, yeah, and you can know everything, but yeah. it's, by the way, know-it-allness, right? There's <laughs> this word. Know-it-allness comes from insecurity. And narcissism and narcissism is we all have a little bit in us, but then the bigger it gets and the more know-it-all bigger, right? That's the underside of shame. I am bad because I don't, I'm embarrassed that I might not know, only know a little bit. So people will just espouse a lot and just be like, well, I know, or they'll be very adamant and not be able to triangulate or not be able yeah. to have another person give an opinion and be okay with it. It's different. Isn't it kind of a necessary part of individualizing too, which starts to happen at 15, 16, 17. Yeah. And it, it is, but you have to be able to balance it, not just be like, I'm, I'm in the know and you're not. Yeah. Yeah, I know, but you can't go in. It's tough to go into trying to individualize thinking you don't know anything. Yes, but it's yeah. really easy for people that think that they know everything to walk into it because they have, that's a protector around them because they don't have the realization that they are see-through. Yep. and transparent. They think they're not transparent. They think that people don't see through it and and then don't understand why they're lacking relationships or that people are not yeah. around them is because they're annoying for lack of, you know, non-clinical term, but they become annoying yeah. to people. So they push the, they isolate themselves out and they will have a few friends here and there because people will learn to tolerate them. But it's a, it's a um, defense mechanism of, you know, well, I know and you don't. Yep. Yeah. 
And I'm like, okay. And they have the syndrome that I always accuse my mother of is they don't know who to BS and who not to BS. Right. Because when you're telling somebody they don't know something and that person knows what you're telling them they don't know about, I mean, you're completely transparent. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And yep. with teenagers, you run into that all the time. All the time. Everyone's lived twice as long as you have and yes. has some knowledge. Right. But you always get from the teenager like that. Like, you don't know anything. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I always say, okay. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. You'll figure it out. <laughs> well, that's the thing is yeah. like, instead of getting into the big debate, it's like, uh, okay. You know, of course, you know, there's sometimes when you have to be like, well, here's actually the evidence or I, in my office, I'll say, just show me the evidence so that you are like, you want to stimulate your brain for knowledge. And kids will often do that because they want to show you. Yeah. But then when they don't, they fold. Old like a deck of cards, like I got nothing. But the problem with that is, and I run into this all the time now, is like if you want to make an argument now and you're going to use Google to do it, yeah, you can make any argument on the planet and you'll find somebody to support it. Earth yes. is flat, plenty of websites will tell you the earth is flat, but you know, it's so you're just so vulnerable with the amount of information that's out there that you can support any position and you'll get plenty of support. Oh, I know. I have clients bring me information all the time from Dr. Google and not just the doctor stuff, but just from a general perspective yeah. that makes them really anxious or paranoid about things going on in the world. I'm like, where did you get that? And they'll show me and I'll be like, this site isn't reputable. Like, and this is why. Yeah. And I'm like, you, you need to really look out and, you know, and I would say Wikipedia, if it's coming from Wikipedia, yeah. It's, well, you know, goes take back that with a big grain of salt, but it, there's other things like I've got a, I've got a client that actually goes into this very QAnon, right? Yeah. The whole QAnon thing. And it's taken me the better part of two and a half, three years just to have some movement. Cause I don't, I, I, it's not my job to make a person believe something or not. Right. But it is my job to say, Hey, is that realistic? Is that rational? Is that reasonable? How does that fit in your life? Well, right? It's back to triangulating, like you said, right. which is and, critical thinking. And, and the, we don't critically think at all anymore. Read opposition. Right. You know, and then make, make your choices based on what you're getting. Get right. a good, get a good argument on the other side, right. compare it with the argument that you're supporting and then. Right. Chances are you'll come out to a moderation of it, and, and that's right. Yeah. And but when you're when you're steeped in like an extreme thing, you're holding on to talk about like you know the sarcastic piece, like yep. the, the coping strategy. When you're really defended around something, and it's something that's keeping you sort of emotionally regulated, even if it's a falsehood or whatever. Man, people get so caught up in that, and it's really hard to move. Almost to the point where I mean, the one client I'm talking about gets almost paranoid, delusional because they get so connected to it. And if you challenge them to well, that position... see any other point, you can feel the emotional dysregulation happen because they are losing their coping strategy, kind of like sarcasm. If you don't have the humor, sarcastic thing to use, then you have nothing and then you're you fall in apart. You're in trouble when that position becomes your identity. And that's, that's the because point. Because what we fear the most is death of self. So right. if you have a position and you read some opposition and you modify that position and come off it, you have to change your identity. People are very reluctant to do that. Exactly. They become too attached to a particular concept or group or whatever it is. Right. Hockey player. I'm a hockey right. player. Right. I can't stop playing hockey. It's that's death of self. Right. Right. And if, so here's the other piece to that. And, and I'm going to wrap up here in a second, but the other piece to that is when you have really low self-esteem, which so many people do have, and they're connected to someone who has this, belief system we've talked about culties but yep. you can have it in relationships that if you don't believe what they believe they get upset so yep. you sort of fall in line with what they believe even though you're in your head going that doesn't make sense but i'm going to because the person 
won't love me. They don't like me. Something bad will happen. That happens a lot. Yep. That people get really caught up in. I'd rather have the relationship, even though it doesn't make sense to me, even though it's off the wall, right? crazy, like aliens are coming down and landing on our heads and taking us up and, yep. you know, L. Ron Hubbard, Scientology. Yes, well, um, yeah. Huh? Scientologist. Great, great example of that. I, that's why I brought it up. Yeah. Because, oh, I can't off air. I'm, I'll tell you what John does. He is embarrassing to me when we go to Clearwater. Okay. All right. Because that's where the Scientologists yeah, I know. are home based. Yep. I'm just saying. Well. So, but it's because people are so entrenched in like belief systems that it's like it's not it's, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. Do your own thought process. John is wishing so. you a happy International Women's Day. You what? John is wishing you nas National Happy. Oh, International look at you! Women's I've never Day. seen you like jump away from something so fast in my life. Wow, that was pretty impressive. Did you think I was going somewhere? No, no, not at all. <laughs> um, yes, it is International Women's Day. So happy International Women's Day. I saw Iman this morning on TV and she has a very fascinating story. You know the model Iman? No. You don't know the model Iman from years ago? Don't think well, I do. I'll have to inform you about her whole story okay. at some point. But it was very fascinating because she's a pretty good role model for like international women moving forward. Um, what is <laughs> Oh, yeah. We're not going to. No, I can't ask Lou because Lou got really cagey about like talking just, about that. It's just a time. I'm not. It's not that. It's just a time thing. That's all. Yeah, I know. So I have to go. Yeah. So anyway, you guys, um, Lou's going to put up my uh, link to my um, my Patriots Foundation because I'm still a couple hundred dollars away from the goal. But also I still have raffle tickets left and I'm not. I think I'm 20 left um at a hundred dollars a piece but i am only four hundred dollars away from hitting the actual goal for minimum for the new england patriots awesome foundation um so please go to the link and fill that in for me so that it takes that one less stressor off of me um that would be fantastic and um thank you kathy breast i love you <laughs> um and i will talk to you guys soon have a fantastic week and i will see you next week thanks lou Thank you.